J, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people just like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. As often happens with this show, today's guest was referred by a previous guest, Linda Middlesworth, who is one of PETA's sexiest vegans over 50, who did a wonderful cooking demo on the show a few months back and said, you must have this lady on. And so when Linda talks, I listen. As a matter of fact, to thank Linda for referring this amazing guest, I'm wearing the shirt that Linda designed and gave me as a present. I think she might still sell them. I love the color and earrings to match. So thank you so much, Linda. So today's guest has a remarkable story. And if you haven't heard it, sit tight. She is the founder of the Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. Now I've been vegan for 43 years and it seems that most people go vegan for the animals. A lot of people now for health and for the environment, sometimes all three or a combination. But this story is somebody who went vegan because of one particular animal. And it's just, a, it's just such a heartwarming, just a wonderful story. So sit tight and please welcome Renee King Solomon from Rowdy Girl Sanctuary to the show. I thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. You brought tears to my eyes. Uh, so you're doing great things in the world. How, how does one become the wife of a cattle rancher to the, the founder of a sanctuary for the cattle? Well, me and Tommy um, married twice. And the first time we were married, um, you know, we were not in the, uh, we didn't have the ranch. Tommy comes from a long history of ranchers uh, back from the 1800s. And, but somehow it's, it, it, you know, he had skipped that ranching, uh, that ranching idea. He went to work for Dow Chemical, but he helped his, his granddad and great granddad and all on their ranch. And then after 40, almost 40 years of working for Dow, he decided to to pick up the ranching again and bought the ranch in Angleton. And me and Tommy divorced for about almost 10 years in there and then we remarried. And when we remarried, he had acquired the ranch and I reluctantly moved to the ranch. I really didn't um, want to, I wanted him to move to the city. I was always that kind of like that uh, rhinestone cowgirl growing up in Houston, Texas, going to the rodeo with every kind of boot you can imagine, every type of animal, a lot of leather, a lot of skins. I mean, I just, I was that Houstonian girl, you know, and, and I didn't want to move to the ranch, but I did reluctantly. And so that's how I ended up finally having a relationship with Rowdy Girl. Yeah. Well, is she still alive? She is very much so. Can she come yeah, on or yeah. is she, is she outside? You, she, she can't come on, can she? Well, I do channel Rowdy Girl. So anytime you want to hear from her, just let me know. Believe me, I talk to that cow almost every single day. That is just, that's just such an amazing story. So, you know, it's so interesting because I was listening to some of the podcasts, how, you know, it, your husband took a little bit longer to, to join you, didn't he? Yeah, he, he, but not, but not too long, you know, he went vegan, um, for his health initially, and then the environment, and then gradually he began to soften his pride enough and his ego enough. He always loved animals, even when he killed them. I mean, that's what I always tell people, you know, the disconnect, especially, especially in the ranching world and, uh, and even in some, and, and the hunters too. I mean, my husband was a hunter. I mean, they will tell you they love animals and they really believe they do. So it's not like they're just saying it and they don't mean it. 
uh, it's just, there's a big disconnect. So when Tommy uh, went vegan, um, it wasn't for the animals. Eventually, gradually, he began to soften up to where he could relax enough to say, you know, I'm so glad I don't have to take my animals to the cell barn anymore. It feels so good to be vegan. Yeah. I love it. Maybe we can talk to him sometime. So how did Rowdy Girl get you to be vegan? Well, what happened is my husband was wanting me to be more involved in the ranch. And I really uh, initially didn't have any inclination. I wasn't motivated to help him open gates. I wasn't motivated to help him clean out barns. I wasn't motivated to help him do much of anything pertaining to any work that was related to anything outside the, the home. You know, I, I didn't have any problem in the home. Um, I had my meditation and my yoga and my spiritual studies. And that's what I was into. And he could do what he did out there. And I'd do what I did. And I'd do what I do. And we could just keep it that way. But Tommy wanted me involved. So he went behind my back and found out about these two calves that needed a mom. Never knew why they needed a mom. I didn't even think about it much at the time. But um, I went and looked at these two calves because Tommy told me they were babies and he pulled at my heartstrings and said they needed a mama. They needed to be bottle fed. And one of them was Rowdy Girl. And I bought those two calves for $300 a piece um, back in about 2000, late 2009, 2010. And uh, Bobo died very young and uh, she just had a failure to thrive she never got her colostrum and so she didn't make it but rowdy girl just thrived and she became like my heart throb i just fell in love with this calf i had no idea she was taking me down this road but she was it's yeah. just amazing because you know i i just uh, there's got to be a disconnect and you wonder you know obviously our ancestors ate some meat they were largely they say hunters and gatherers but mostly gatherers but I don't even understand in the timeline of human history when people started eating cows. That, that to me, it's just so weird. Yeah, it happened about, um, from what I've studied, it happened about 10,000 years ago in what we now call Iran. Uh, that's when, uh, you know, the, the, the humans back then started herding and herding animals. Uh, it's interesting that herd and hurt sound so much alike, isn't it? But they started, you know, realizing that they could herd animals uh, and, and you know, begin to you know, buy, you know, trade them. They begin to trade animals and, and whatnot. So it happened back then. And there's some, um, there's some terminology that we have even in, in today's language, um, like in Sanskrit, the words um, like, like, Cows, like uh, the, the desire for more cattle in Sanskrit uh, is the word for war. So like in the old days, people fought over land, you know, and they still are because they needed more land for more animals because animals was the way you identified your wealth and your, and your position, your power. And it started out thousands of years ago. And it's interesting that in Sanskrit, the word war means the desire for more cattle. That's amazing. And I love that now what you said, herding and herding sound the same. They do. 
Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, when you're hurting animals, you're hurting animals for real. So I always look at, I look for, for ways to, um, to see how the, the English language works, because I think there's so much hidden in our, in our words, if we'll just pay attention. And so why would we want to hurt animals? I mean, it hurts them. It's, that's not their, they're not, they're not here on this earth for us to confine and put in a, in a, you know, in a pasture and breed and let alone put in a feedlot, you know, where they have to step in their own urine and excrement for, for days while they just are force fed uh, in un, just unrelenting conditions. I mean, these animals are meant to be on the open range. And if we, if we quit doing these things, we would have the kind of planet that we all want. I mean, when we take over and pervert the way uh, the God of my understanding intended for us to live on this planet, I mean, we just perverted it completely. Um, when we do that, it's just unnatural. And we've created such an unnatural uh, environment, such an unnatural atmosphere for not only ourselves, but the animals for sure. You know, it's interesting because I always think, you know, the Hare Krishna talk about how when we hurt, they don't eat animals, by the way, but that they come back and get their revenge by giving us all these diseases that we wouldn't get if we weren't eating them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, absolutely. And when you think about not only do you get the diseases like heart disease and diabetes and all from all the uh, fat and cholesterol, but you also get the trauma. I mean, if you can imagine the trauma that these animals go through uh, when they have their, their children stripped from them, I never even saw it till I saw it. I mean, it's, it's like you don't see till you see and then all of a sudden the scales lift, the veil opens and it's like, where the heck was I? You know, how come I see this now and I didn't see this then? What is it about us that gives us the unique ability to totally, especially cattle ranchers and hunters and people like that, slaughterhouse workers. I mean, you have to, you have to really disconnect in such a way uh, where it's just, you know, that nothing can get through until it does. And when it does, it's like, it's like the parting of the Red Sea. That's what it's like. If you know that story in the, in the Bible where it talks about the parting of the Red Sea and everybody, I mean, that's what it was like for me. It was finally like I had a, I had an opening. When I had that opening and my mind opened like that, I ran to the other side. And when that slammed shut, it was like, get this meat out of this house. It was like I was on a whole nother shore <laughs> in a whole nother world. And I was in the same dead gum spot. You know, they say that when people know better, they do better. I don't know if that's always the case, but so many people don't want to know. And Paul McCartney used to say, if slaughterhouses had windows, everyone would be a vegetarian. But there's a law now you can't even film. At a, you, you can't film it at, at a factory farm. You'll go to jail if you try. I mean, sometimes you get undercover, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, we, if people could see it, I can't believe they would still eat it. Well, you can just... I mean, the very fact that they have to have a law that keeps people from doing that is, is proof enough they're doing something wrong. I mean, if, they're, if they weren't doing anything wrong, then why would they care? I mean, why wouldn't you just take your kids for, you know, a field trip, you know, every year? 
uh, or twice a year to to witness, you know, what goes on since uh, the food is so healthy for us. And since, uh, you know, the big the big thing that I remember hearing Tommy used to used to always say to me is, Renee, this is the way it's always been done. We're feeding the world. This is, you know, you have to, you know, just you just have to realize this is what we do. This is what uh, cattle ranchers are here for is to feed the world. And that's a message that is given to all of us, you know, growing up that, that, uh, that cattle ranchers are here to feed the world. They're to be respected. They're to be honored. Um, it's that it's, uh, it's, it's a good thing. It's, it just means, you know, like I remember when I first married Tommy, you know, the fact that he had acquired this cattle ranch and was a rancher, I felt so proud of that. You know, there's this Texas pride that goes along with being married to a cattle rancher and, especially if there's generations of tradition and heritage that go along with it, you know, that's, that's something to be proud of in Texas, you know, and anywhere else, as a matter of fact. And now that I know what I know, I see right through it. It's all ego. What's behind all of that, all those, all that pride and all that stuff that we see is a world of violence. It's dirty. It's, stinks, it's hateful, it's mean, and we live in self-delusion every single day. Even if somebody did ostensibly change or care, the thing is, is that's what they, that's how they make their living. Like I've known people, but I'm not going to say their names, but one was the CEO of a company that produced sugar and one that produced cheese. And they both ended up with heart disease and diabetes and became plant-based, but they still kept their job because you know, it's not easy for people. They have this to just like walk away. Right. Right. It's, it's very difficult. I mean, I know, I know uh, right now, one of our uh, farmers that's in our, that's in our program, you know, to help, you know, the rancher advocacy program, him and his wife, Cindy and Richard trailer. Um, they were not vegan when I met them and she contacted me couple years ago, year and a half ago, um, because she had seen our story and all, and this is what has happened a lot because of people have seen our story, is a cattle rancher's wife will call me and they'll say, I don't want my husband to know, but I need to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And they would just start bawling. Just the very fact that they're talking to somebody they can finally talk to. And this woman told me about a cow her name was Honey, that her husband was about to send a slaughter because she had a bad leg. Long story short is we worked it out and we ended up taking that cow, that cow uh, and also her daughter to another sanctuary and got in, and found refuge for these, for these two cows. But in the meantime, I met this man and this woman where they were in their living room. We were able to get footage, recorded footage of the conversation. There was no way he would ever be vegan, uh, but she was very open-minded. And we had a really interesting conversation. And because we sat there, me and my husband were actually there together, because we were able to talk to him in his language, he, we were in a conversation with him and we heard him say things like, you know, I must be a hypocrite. For me to say I love animals and to take them off to the cell barn and drop them off, he said, he said, man, I, I, he says, I might as well be a murderer. 
And see, he had never said anything like that ever in his life to anybody, let alone out loud. And when he said that, tears started rolling down his eyes. He was in his kitchen. And he looked at me and he said, he looked at his wife and he looked at Tommy and he said, is this a setup? What am I even telling y'all this for? But see, this is part of what I know is so needed. The ranchers that I know, the ones that I've met, most of them really, really do have a heart for the animals. They're just doing what they've always done. Like you said, this is what they do when the, when the cows you have a cow-calf operation. What, do a, what does a cow-calf operation do? They breed and then, you know, they, they, they breed naturally. They're not artificially inseminated. They breed and then six months later, their calves go to the cell barn. That's the, that's the way that typically goes. So every six months, you're taking babies away from the mother and taking them to the cell barn. And so what a rancher has to do is they have to, they have to, take care of these cows and their babies up until that time. And then those cow, those calves have to go to the cell barn. And at that time, the rancher has to disconnect. The rancher, the wife, the family, they have to buy into that whole story that this is what we always do. This is who we are. This is how we feed the world. This is how we pay the bills. And so they disconnect, get that done. And then they start it all over again. You know, I think about the, the people that work in slaughterhouses, they're, you know, they're, they don't get paid very much. A lot of them are maybe illegal immigrants. They don't speak English. And, you know, you wonder from their perspective that, that how they feel about this, you know, they have to really disconnect because it's one thing to drop an animal off at the cell barn. And it's another thing to kill the animal. Oh, let me tell you, I'm, I can only, I, I, can, I can't even imagine what it would must be like to be on the front lines of watching the terror come down that line every second. Um, what that must do to a person, you know, to their soul, to their spirit, to their mind, to their heart. I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, my husband, you know, used to always say, you know, I can't eat animals that I know. I mean, I, I, I remember pushing my husband one time to the brink of, you know, wanting to kill one of our own animals so that we could, so that we could, this is before we were vegan, obviously. Um, but I was wanting to get away from, you know, buying the animal, buying the food at the store because I was starting to open up and I didn't know where it was going. But I didn't understand why we didn't eat our own animals. Why were we buying animals at the store, but we weren't, but we weren't eating our own. And that we knew they were grass fed. We knew where the meat came from, right? Why are we not doing that? And what my husband finally said is because he could not eat an animal that he knew. So you can imagine if a rancher, and most, and a lot of ranchers are like this. They, you know, not all of them, but some of them are. They don't want to eat the animals they know. As long as they can put them in a truck, trailer, haul them to the cell barn, not see it, they're okay. But I cannot imagine working at a slaughterhouse day in, day out, it's, we, we've got to change this system, you know, we got to end it. And I think it's happening. It didn't happen as fast as I think any of us wanted to happen, but it's happening. It's going to happen. I'm contemplating having a former slaughterhouse worker on the show. It's just that I'm, it just, I don't, it just, it's so, I think it'd be so traumatic, you know, just to even hear what they have to say, you know? 
Yeah, I've heard, you know, I've seen some posts on Facebook and, you know, and Instagram about, you know, former slaughterhouse workers and, you know, what they say. I know there was a guy, I was in a, um, it was, I was in some sort of a documentary a couple years back. Um, can't think of her name right now, but she came down from the UK and she filmed me and Tommy and there was another person that she was also interviewing that was in this mini documentary. Um, and he was a former slaughterhouse worker. And so um, I got to talk to him, messaging back and forth with him on Facebook, you know, and uh, it's so dark. It's just so dark, you know, that people that wake up, I mean, imagine it like this, I'm in recovery. And I can only imagine when I was, when I used to drink and I would wake up somewhere in a, from a blackout and I'm like, where was I? What was I thinking? Where am I? I mean, that's kind of like the way I imagine somebody that works in a slaughterhouse. I mean, all of a sudden you're slitting throats left and right, slitting throats, pulling skin, you know, and then all of a sudden you're, you're waking up to what you're really doing. It would be like you've been in a freaking blackout. Right. And then they go have their lunch and they have a burger or some yeah. kind of meat sandwich. It's so, yeah. What's, what's, <laughs> tell us about the initiative that you're doing with ranchers. Well, you know, it started, the rancher advocacy program started as a result of when our story went viral on CBS Evening News uh, about four, four years ago. Uh, it blew up our website. It blew up all over the place. It was shared around millions of times all over the world. And it, it and so what happened as a result of that, we ended up on Animal Planet and, you know, Southwest Airlines picked up our story and Texas Country Reporter and documentaries started happening. And, um, and our story started landing in the lap of everyday rancher families. And so they would be just watching their news at home or uh, on an airplane and open it up and here's these former ranchers, you know, and we started, we started making a connection with people that other people couldn't make that connection with because, you know, a lot of ranchers just, they don't, they don't warm up to vegans typically. I mean, most ranchers are not going to just want to sit down and talk to your typical vegan. But when there used to be cattle ranchers, uh, especially, you know, when you have a husband like I do, that's, uh, I mean, his family was from Germany. He is a born, you know, he was born in a family of cattle ranchers and now he's plant-based. People started listening. And so as a result of that, rancher families started contacting me, mainly the wives, and it was initiative that was born out of an organic need. I didn't know I was creating the Rancher Advocacy Program. I didn't know it was happening. Um, I remember uh, Nikki, one of our, um, one of my consultants uh, said to me one time when I was working with her, she said, Renee, it's time for you to start thinking about programming. And, you know, what kind of programming is going to set you apart from other sanctuaries, what's unique and all. And she says, let's just talk about that for a minute. Let's brainstorm. And, and so 
as a result of that, I started, you know, I just started talking about some of these calls I was getting from these ranchers wives. And she got real quiet for a second because, you know, this is what, I mean, this is what Nikki does. I mean, Nikki's a pretty amazing person. She's behind the scenes doing a lot of things. And she said, Renee, you're onto something. Nobody's doing that. And I said, doing what? Reaching out to ranchers, you know, being, being a resource to ranchers as a vegan. And I said, oh, a rancher advocate. And she went, yeah. I said, all right. So we have the rancher advocacy program. And that's where it started. And uh, Nikki helped me flesh it out, uh, you know, the initial build out of what it might look like. And from there, it has become a coalition of people that have helped me uh, with business planning, um, research, I've uh, managed to find funding and, you know, but mainly what we're doing is pioneering away because what I see that has happened since I started all of this, because when I started having conversations about this with, with leaders in the movement, like Gene Bauer and Miyoko and, you know, Leah Garces and people we all know, you know, it was like, you know, this was, nobody was doing this stuff yet. And now look, it's like farm transitions is becoming a, is something that that's, it's becoming a thing. It's becoming a, a thing that people need to do and they know that they need to do it. And so it's just, it's just so cool to be a part of something where you know that lives are really changing and you, and you can make a difference in people's lives. So Tell us a little bit about the sanctuary. Where is it? Can people visit? How many animals do you have? Uh, Rowdy Girl Sanctuary is now in Welder, Welder, Texas. We used to be in Angleton, but now we're in Welder, which is near Austin and San Antonio, not too far from Houston. And uh, currently we're allowing visitors four or less here, uh, volunteers four or less. Um, there's our website is rowdygirlsanctuary.org or you can go to rancheradvocacy.org. You can reach us, um, you can follow us on, you know, all social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and also YouTube. And I, I do wanna tell you that we're gonna have, Jane, Jane Velez Mitchell is on our board and we're gonna be having uh, the RAP uh, live online summit, um, November 21st. It's gonna be the first of many and it's gonna be uh, just a, like a two hour, we're gonna answer some really tough questions about how to transition farms. And we're gonna have great people that, you know, are all in this conversation, you know, talking with us uh, around these subjects. And we're gonna have it, um, you know, more than we're gonna have it every quarter. So save the day, November 21st for the, the first ever RAP Live Online Summit. That sounds great. Yeah. So what what do the what do the animals do all day when they're not being raised for food? Like what what's it what's a life in the, what's the, a day in the life of a of a cow like? Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to forget to answer that question. Um, I got I sometimes I just get carried away. Forgive me. Uh, we have a little over a hundred animals here, and we have sixty cows, and we have uh, right at a little, almost thirty chickens and roosters. We have five goats, we have two sheep, 
we have two donkeys, we have three horses, we have three great big hogs, we have two pot bellies, we have two ducks, and we have Sealy and a partridge in a pear tree. But <laughs> it's, uh, you know, Sealy's a house turkey. Sealy lives in the farmhouse. She's nine years old and she's ornery and beautiful. And we just love this turkey. Um, but, you know, we do as much as we, in my mind, you can never do enough for the animals. I don't care how good we give it to them. They always need it better. The fact that they even need to be in a sanctuary at all, to me, is not normal. They need to be out there in the world. We need to be protecting their habitat, their environment, their land, so that animals, you know, like ducks and cows and chickens and all can, can live free. I mean, you know, I mean, we're begin we're experiencing some of this right now with the pandemic and COVID. I mean, we're not we're not living free anymore. You know, we're we're, you know, you can't go anywhere without a face mask, and you know, you're you're having to stay home. I mean, you know, this is just a taste, a touch of the iceberg, to what animals uh, have to go through. But the animals here, it's so cool to see the cows. You know, have land to to roam, pastures you know, ponds and, uh, you know, feeding streams, you know, like streams that they can get into and relationships that they can make. And if I could, AJ, I would open my doors and every cow, every chicken, all of them would live right here in my house. You know, my house is full of animals. I have three cats and three dogs in the house and three dogs outside. But if I could, I'd have all these animals in my home. That's is how much I love my does everybody get along? Well, you know, no, no, they don't. No, I'm not even going to sugarcoat that one bit. No, animals don't all get along, just like humans. Uh, but you see their, you can see their communities. You can see who hangs out. Uh, like I can remember when I first started noticing the community of the cows and I realized that Tippy was the babysitter. I didn't even know cows had babysitters. And when I started seeing this thing happen, when I would feed Rowdy Girl, she would feed me almost like, I really have this insight and this perception and this communication with, with Rowdy Girl. And I, I, I would feed her and I would see out into the herd and I would notice all these communities. I'd notice who hung out together, who belonged together. And then I started noticing, noticing this one, it was a bull calf at the time, Tippy. He would go around from cow to cow that had babies and he would park there with their baby while the cow went off and ate and drank water and did whatever she did. And then when she would come back, he would go to the next one. And his whole job was to sit there or stand there and watch that little baby. Oh I didn't know God. that happened. That is precious. <laughs> Do you ever think of making so a do you ever think of making a documentary about all the animals? There's one being made right now. Yeah, there's one being made right now. There's a fella uh, uh, making one. He's just, uh, he comes out very often and stays here for like a week to two weeks at a time. Uh, and it's uh, it's he spends a lot of time with us. And uh, so, yeah, there is one being made. And you can also see there's one called... Um, you know, you, you've heard of vegan everyday stories. I don't know, mm -hmm. maybe you have. Anyway, our stories in there 
uh, that happened in 2015. That was the very first documentary we were ever in. Uh, and I had no idea what was about to happen from there, but we won a contest and ended up in that documentary. And as a result, you know, we've been, uh, you know, featured in lots of mini documentaries and stuff. And now we're being um, featured um, in, in this major documentary. And I'm also writing a book right now. I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm thinking you have to have a book because this story is extraordinary. You know, I'm curious when you say not all animals get along with each other, is it usually the same species that don't get along? Or is it like, for example, is like certain cows don't like other cows or is it maybe the goat that doesn't like the cow? I'm just curious because I've never been, other than visiting sanctuaries, I don't get to see what you see every day. Well, you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the ones that don't get along like roosters, sometimes roosters are like, they are so cocky that, you know, they don't want, you know, another rooster infringing on their territory and they will just fight each other and they draw blood and stuff and so we're constantly having to figure out you're like who gets along who doesn't so we don't have made all these vet bills and and, and animals getting hurt and, and you know and god forbid you know one of them you know get killed because some of these uh roosters that we have you know were rescued right out of you know uh cockfighting rings, you know, where they were born and bred to fight, you know, for money. And so, you know, they're really very cool, docile birds typically, but if they get a taste for a fight, they go for the death. That's just what they do. And so, you know, there's those. And then the cows, you know, you can just tell that some of them are, they rub each other the wrong way a little bit. They'll butt heads and they'll They'll, they'll just want you to get out of their way and they'll do silly things like that. And if, you know, some of them have horns like Frosty, for instance, he's our Texas Longhorn and he has horns that go out here like this. And he's a beautiful, beautiful steer, you know, solid white. His name is Frosty. And, um, you know, you don't get in his way because he can just go like this and he can take the tip of that horn and just like poke you uh you know and so you know and he just it's not that they don't get along it's just that they have their favorites they have their community just like we do yeah you know? that, make, that makes that makes sense yeah some chickens like chicken if chickens like sometimes you know how humans can be like sometimes if if you know like chickens can sometimes really be mean to ones that are down like if there's a chicken that's down sometimes chickens can be really mean to that chicken. And so we have to isolate this chicken and we have to pay attention to all this. And it's it's kind of their nature. I don't know what it is. Not all of them will do that, but some of them want to be chicken of the road. They want to be top chicken and they're gonna they're gonna be ugly to some chickens. I guess that's where they get the expression pecking order. Just want to take a moment to thank Louise Silver for the super chat donation. And she said, I can listen to her all day. Thank you for hosting every day. It's my pleasure. You know, I imagine you have to spay and neuter the animals, right? Well, we knew we, what we do is spay and neuter is interesting. Uh, well, we have to castrate, yes. We have to castrate the bull calves. And then we have to, um, you know, the, the, the roosters and all, we don't fix them. We just don't let the eggs stay there. Like if they, if they, when they have eggs, we get rid of the eggs. And so we just totally get rid of them. Uh, sometimes we will boil the eggs and chop them up and give them back to the chickens because that is good nutrition for the chickens. Um, 
as far as as far as um, anything else goes, I mean, you just you know the the, the animals they live here and. I'm sorry, what was your, I, I, I had a train of thought I was going on, and sometimes I do this. Well, I, I said, no, that's okay. I imagine that they, for them, you, you don't want them to, oh, yeah. them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was talking about their food, and I got, and I thought, no, wait a minute. No, and so like the goats always, they have to be fixed, the boys. The girls don't have to be fixed. All the cows, the, I think it has to do with my 62-year-old brain sometimes. I sometimes just go, What? <laughs> But anyway, the bull calves have to all be fixed. The, the the male goats, the chickens we don't fix. The roosters we don't fix. We just manage the eggs. Um, and then, yeah, the pigs, uh, the boys are fixed. The girls don't have to be. It's really traumatic for them, you know. It would be traumatic for a cow to be fixed uh, because it's a traumatic surgery. Uh, so, yeah, of course, we don't breed here. Now, in the beginning, when we first started, I mean, as a cow-calf operation, we were having some babies. It took a while to not have babies. It took a while to stop that train. But uh, what's cool is that in stopping that train, we got to give families back. You know, we got to watch families stay intact. The cows that used to be so terrified of us because we always took their babies away, when they got to keep their babies, you know, the, you know, when we were transitioning into becoming a sanctuary, I can't tell you how much that means to me to be able to watch that. And, you know, you can see, you know, we, we keep records of all the animals. You know, we have a medical file. We have a genealogical file. We know who the mother, who the daddy, who the siblings are. And when you see there's white spot out there and surprises right next to her all the time, that's her son. He's full grown. He's bigger than her, but they hang out. Rowdy girl with her kids, Houdini and, um, and Magic and Stella, they're always together. You know, if you don't know these things, you don't know these things. You don't see that families are together, you know, and it, it, it just blows my mind, you know, like Betty and Veronica and Samson, always together. They're a family. And so, you know, you just have to know that these cows have rich emotional lives and all these animals do. And when we tune in to their needs, to them as, as being equal to us, see, as humans, we have become the speciesist of the planet. We need to be equal to all living beings if we're gonna be good stewards, if we're gonna truly be the kind of human we can be, I mean, we're given the potential to grow our compassion to no end. And we're also given the potential to be so destructive and violent and filthy mean. We have it in us to elevate, to awaken, to be enlightened, to have the consciousness that these animals are begging us to have. We are the only hope for them, you know? And so, you know, just know, I mean, we're not the only ones that have families. They have families too. And it isn't our job to separate that and mess with that. How dare we mess with that? 
Well, I agree. And how, how long will a, a cow typically live if it's healthy and if it's not, you know, on a factory farm or being sold to slaughter? We have one out there right now. Her name is Agape and she's about 20, 21 years old. And we lost one a few months ago, Muley, that was about 22. So they'll live into their 20s. 25 is old, really old. But um, yeah, you know, if if they're given what they need, uh, you know, and when they're when when they're confined like they are even here, you know, you have to uh, you have to always be managing the grass, you know, making sure that animals get the the type of pasture they need. We have to be rotating them from one pasture to others. Uh, always praying for rain, you know, because when we have to feed them sweet feed or, or you know, and hay, you know, have to always supplement that. And it's extremely expensive uh, when you have to supplement food. But, you know, these animals, you know, they just, uh, yeah, I mean, they just, they, they got to be cared for. And if you care for them, they live for a while. Uh, they live a long while. You know, I mean, if we kill them, you know, they're not going, obviously they're not going to live very long. Can you imagine having your six month old taken from you and killed for meat? I mean, that's what we do without even thinking. And then we eat them and we eat babies. Ugh. Well, not, yeah, that's, ugh. that's, that's, you know, and <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, I mean, we eat babies. It's terrifying. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. What, what do they do all day? Like what time do they go to bed? What time do they, I'm just curious what a cow does all day. Like, do really? they play? Okay. Yeah, they play. Oh my gosh. Cows. Well, they love to eat grass. They eat grass. They, they, uh, they hang out. And when it's hot, they get under trees and just, you know, this is one of the things I used to do uh, when me and Tommy were having the big fight before I went, before he went vegan, I had just turned vegan and, uh, I started going out and hanging out with the cows because I didn't want to be with Tommy. I did not want to be in that house. There was deer heads all over it and every other kind of animal in that house. And I didn't want to even hang out in there. We were fighting big time. Oh my God. Uh, that needs to be in the document. <laughs> that was, woo, man, the stuff we went through. But I would go and hang out with the cows. And one thing I didn't know is that cows make these, they, they make these trails. And they all, and, and they're all over the pastures out here, all these trails. I mean, I didn't, I, got, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought, don't know if I thought it was the, an, a vehicle doing that or what. The cows always go the same way every time. They, they have a, they make their own roads to where they want to go. And so I went out there and I started following these trails and I would find the cows. And they'd all be like just hanging out under trees or something. And I would get up under those trees with them cows. This was in the very beginning. And I started observing and watching what cows do. And cows relax a lot. They hang out a lot. They chew their cud a lot. They, they observe a lot. They just take in the world around them. And they really respond to nature. If it rains, they wanna get under a tree or go into the barn. They don't really want to hang out in the rain. Uh, I mean, they will if it's not too bad and stuff. If it's not too bad. But if if it's time to eat, you know, if they, if they don't have a good pasture, they can bust out of fences 
if they don't have the grass they need and what they want, they will bust out. They will figure it out. If you keep them satisfied, they don't do that. But when you open up another pasture for a cow, like say you kept the pasture closed for a week or two because you're letting the grass grow. As soon as you open that gate, they frolic. I mean, they kick their heels, they run around, they're excited. Uh, I've gotten tons of footage, video footage, um, you know, like that on my Instagram and stuff of the cows, you know, running by me real fast when they get into a new pasture. It's uh, one of the most awesome experiences I have is watching these animals frolic and run and be free and go and get into a pasture where there's lots of grass and they just stop and graze. No worries. How much do they have to eat? Because And how much does a, a cow weigh? A couple of thousand pounds? Well, some of them, uh, cinnamon and JD are, are, are pretty heavy. They probably, cinnamon probably weighs somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500, 1,600 pounds. We don't have any right now that weigh 2,000. That's a big one. But, um, you know, when they're, when they're nine, six, nine months old, they can weigh, you know, eight or 900 pounds. So, you know, that's why and they always say, you know, when you drink the milk from a cow, you're drinking, you know, liquid, you know, that's meant to make a little baby calf get big really fast. I mean, that's what it's for. And so, yeah, they get, they get big. And um, we, ours range anywhere from right now, probably Jetto is about 900 pounds, I would say. Uh, and then um, our, our biggest, it's about 1,500. How much do they have to eat to maintain that weight? I mean, because I think about how many pounds of food I eat at my weight. It's about six. So uh, they must be eating all day. They graze constantly. And if you don't have a good gra if you don't have good pastures out there, you have to feed them. Uh, I mean, like, see what the, this is. Uh, August, September. We bought already about four hundred round bales of hay. Uh, this year and we're going to have to buy some more because uh, we're you know we bought plenty I think we have plenty for the winter but we're going to have to buy more and every one of those round bells right now are $65 so you do the math you, you multiply 65 times 400 uh, that's a that's a lot of money and then and then you have to supplement it also with sweet feed and cubes if they don't have good grass like in the winter time you got to feed them you got to feed them hay you got to feed them cubes sweet feed and that sweet feed is about $10, $11, $12 a bag. And when you're feeding a whole herd of cows, you got to spread out, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 bags every single day. Well, that, there's every a day. question from Susan. How do you fund the sanctuary? Well, thank you for asking. Um, we funded the sanctuary through membership. Uh, a lot, we have 309 members right now. And uh, members donate anywhere from $5 a month to $150 a month. That's uh, amount and our most amount that, that donates on a monthly basis. And our average is about $22 a month. So that membership is what we always ask people if you're wanting to help. That's, you get like, you get a lot out of that too, because you, you become part of our herd. We really take care of our members and we, and we love, uh, we love connecting with them and sending them pictures and, and things, you know, and, and calling them on the phone. And, and you hear from me all the time. A lot of people think I'm uh, inaccessible, but I'm so accessible. I'm so much, I'm always on the phone talking to people. 
And then also we have, you know, people that donate through, um, you know, as just, they just donate. They just donate one time major donations. And then we do events. We do uh, what, you know, before COVID, we had uh, an event every month. And so, you know, members always come free to our events, but our events are usually 20 to $25. And so normally we can have 40 people at an event pre-COVID. Now we're doing private tours. And so folks pay $300 for a private tour. And that's with me and Tommy. And we spend four or five hours with them. And so it's just, um, you know, that's how we do it. And then Tommy started a garden. Uh, we've been wanting to have a veganic garden ever since we started Rowdy Girl uh, at the uh, urging of Kip Anderson. He wanted us really bad to have uh, a veganic garden. So we started and we got flooded. Uh, and flooded our garden, flooded all of our orchard trees. And so it became um, obvious that we weren't going to try to do that again because we knew we were you know, going to have to be battling the floods. And so we finally moved here and now Tommy's got over an acre of just beautiful you know, gardens that grows the most amazing food. And so one of the things we're wanting to do is uh, start going out on the, si on the side of the road and, you know, just put a donation thing out there and start educating farmers. So about veganic gardening and, and educating people. But thank you for asking. We, we are supported by donations. We have uh, a foundation that has helped us a lot. We get a lot of people, you know, go to their employers and we have matching donations through employers and there's all kinds of ways to help. For people that do shop on Amazon, can you be, um, do you have Amazon smiles so that their Amazon pennies can go to you? I do. Yes, you can do that. Absolutely. That's, Thank you for asking that. Yeah, that's one way people can. Well, uh, uh, we, we love tattoos on this show. So could you talk about yours? My tattoo. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it says vegan and that's my logo. That's Rowdy Girl for real. And then there's Rowdy Girl and it says Cow Mama. Vegan Rowdy Girl Cow Mama. And I was with Miyoko one day and I saw her her tattoo, that big old tattoo on her arm. And I was like, man, when I give me a tattoo, I want to put it right there. And so I did. And when I turned 60, uh, I took my mama. And my mama's not vegan. And, you know, she eats vegan when she's with me. But I, I told my mama I wanted to get a tattoo and uh, I was with another vegan friend and she told me about this tattoo artist that did vegan tattoos. And so I went and um, took my mama. She couldn't believe she sat there with me the whole time while I, I got this tattoo. But, and then I came home and Tommy didn't know I was getting a tattoo. And I came home with this tattoo and Tommy was like, Dora, you let Renee get a tattoo? He said, Tommy, she's 60 years old. I ain't never been able to stop her from doing anything. I sure can't stop her now. <laughs> that is hilarious. So, yeah. And Tommy said, well, I guess if you were going to get a tattoo, that's probably the most perfect one you could have got. That is so cool. Evelyn says, I'm just wondering, what do you do with the animals when they pass away? Well, you know, thank you for asking. You know, one of the hard, well, let me just show you you know this is this is Rosie and Rosie was one of my horses and Rosie's tail is in this box um I have um oh she's in the other room Stormy Stormy is in a box she's at the farmhouse 
and a beautiful box and she was cremated. She was one of my beautiful blind calves uh, that died um, three years ago and we cremated her and she put her in a box and she's, she's forever there for me. And then we also, you know, when they die here, the big cows, we have a great big like backhoe and we have a, a place where we bury them and we have a funeral um, and we have a place, you know, you know, when the chickens pass away, we have a special place where we take the chickens and we, we talk, we say prayers, we, we do, we do ritual around our animals. So it's a, it's a very tough, I always say to people, you know, before I was vegan, I always had a heart for the animals. I always loved animals. But when I went vegan, and I realized I could love a chicken as much as I loved a cat. When those feelings started coming from me towards animals I used to eat, it was, it was shocking to my heart. It was shocking to my soul that I had been eating. Like for instance, I, I remember the first time I thought this, I was fixing the leg. I was working on the leg of one of our chickens, Dixie Chick. And this scene is in that, in that documentary, Vegan Everyday Stories, and you can watch it for free if you go on YouTube or just Google it. But I was massaging Dixie Chick's leg and I was all up in there because I'm a massage therapist by trade and I was in there just massaging and doing all that. And all of a sudden I got this feeling overwhelming me and it was like, <gasps> I used to eat these legs and I'm massaging it. And I, and I, I don't know, it was just like, oh my God, I cannot believe I used to eat those legs, those wings, those breasts. And when, the, when these animals pass away, there's a level of sadness and grief that doesn't compare. I, I, it's a deeper sadness. Uh, it's not that I don't love my dogs and cats, I do. But there's something happens when I'm real connected to one of our farm animals and they pass away. I don't know. I, I can't even put my, I can't even put, wrap my mind around it. I, I don't, I don't know how in the world I ever ate their bodies. And so I think something happens when they pass. Yeah. Do the other animals, I know that when babies are taken away from the mother, they cry for, for days, but when they pass naturally, do the cows grieve for the other cows? absolutely they will they will go and to their, where they're buried and they will stand there and pay respect um i remember when houdini houdini had a baby and um when i mean she had the baby and then the very next day or in the night um a coyote chewed off the baby's leg and and the baby died in the middle of the night outside in the woods. And I, I heard Houdini just crying and just, ooh, I mean, she was just like, ooh, I mean, just like, oh my God. And Houdini, I consider like to be my granddaughter. That's Rowdy Girl's firstborn daughter. And Houdini is the very first cow other than Rowdy Girl that I really, really connected with in a real deep way. I mean, she really is like a granddaughter to me. And so when I heard her crying out there, 
I, I told Tommy, I says, Tommy, something's wrong with Houdini. You hear that? And we knew she was pregnant. And I heard all this and I walked out, I ran out and sure enough, her baby had died in the night. Had been chewed up by a coyote, the leg. And she was crying and I sat there with her, bawling with her, crying with her. I cradled her baby, her dead baby, right there with her. And I buried her baby right there where she passed. And Houdini went there every second of the day for days and she would still go there. Um, and Cheryl yeah. says, what about a local school program to help? Yeah, so we have a program called Families Choosing Compassion. And um, we haven't like actually taken it into the schools yet, but we have plans to do so. Uh, it's, in our, it's in our plans. And so what we do is uh, when children get connected to the animals that they're taking care of in like FFA, which is Future Farmers of America or 4-H, uh, a lot of these kids, you know, they, get, they, they don't wanna see their animals go to the cell barn. They don't want to see their animals get slaughtered. And kids are taught in school to disconnect. They're taught in school to take care of these animals and, and then to let go of them and send them to, to slaughter for money, you know, to go to college and all. And uh, we have a program where we have, I mean, three of our great big pigs are from former FFA students. Uh, five or six of our, our cows and steer our former FFA or 4-H and you know we have two lambs that are now sheep that were former FFA and so what we're doing the way we educate is when these families contact us we can't take them all and we won't take them if they decide to stay in the FFA or 4-H program like it, there's a whole process that we go through it's an interview process and if they're willing to to not keep their child in FFA or 4-H uh, then we are willing to take next steps with them. And then the family comes and we interview them here. We talk to them. And in the process of doing that, we talk about veganism. We educate on a plant-based diet and why it's so important. And that how if you, you know, you can't keep putting animals into the system. You can't keep buying animals for your kids to put in FFA and have this happen every single time. Because, you know, you're, you're paying for the breeders to breed. You're paying for the suffering. And, you know, sanctuaries are overrun with animals. And the last thing I want to do is contribute to the suffering. So the only way I will take those animals is if the family is educated, willing to stay away from that. And then they're, and then they commit to coming and seeing the animal and until the, you know, until they die, until they leave this earth. So, so these kids now then they are, they, the animal that they had in FFA is now at Rowdy Girl and, and a lot of them go vegan, vegetarian. They, they come out here, they take care of the animals. And uh, it's a beautiful thing, you know, to see these kids and these families go vegan and vegetarian, you know, and, and you just keep inspiring and motivating. Um, so Susan, who's watching live, just made a donation to the sanctuary. So I'm ringing the bell for you. 
cowbell, oh, no less. So and and she, she wants to know how you name the animals. And I was just thinking, if you don't already do this, I would love the opportunity to make a large donation, but get to name the animal like for that, that, that would be the level I'd be interested in and actually name one of the cows or pigs. Cause if there was a pig, I'd like to name it AJ so that when people tell me, God, you eat like a pig, I'm like, yes. And I do as a matter of fact. <laughs> I love that. So fun. That is a great idea. Yeah. We have, we've had naming contests in the past and I would be delighted to give you the opportunity to name an animal. Uh, you know, it's it's like when we get, when we know we're fixing to get an animal, uh, sometimes they're already named. And I have a real, in my mind, I have a real problem taking their name away from them. Uh, but if they don't have a name, then absolutely. Uh, I am so open to that. So yeah, open just that. so fun. Like you could even, you could either have people bid for it or just have levels. Like maybe a chicken is smaller. So it's this many hundred dollars to name the chicken, but you know, depend, I, I don't know. I just think it would be kind of fun to have that, you know, sort of like when you get a galaxy or a star named after you, there's supposedly you or a tree, you can do that. So there's a question about the award. Stephanie says there's an, what, there was an award behind Renee, a veggie awards plaque. What was it given for? Oh God, you can see that. Uh, that she, awesome. Maybe she's zooming in on her phone because I, I didn't see it. That's so funny. This is, uh, this was from 2015. I was the rookie activist of the year. <laughs> yeah. And that same, that was such a, I was so surprised. I was, I was as surprised. I mean, I was such a new activist. I didn't even know I was one. So I just, you know, I just knew that I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it anymore. I was just a loud mouth about it everywhere. And, uh, um, and then I got invited also that next year and, you know, the animal rights conference and uh, to speak, I think that was in 2016. And that was uh, a real honor. And that's when I got to meet the folks at Edge News, Tom Holland and, and all of them. So that's Thanks amazing. So I, we were raised Orthodox Jew, Jew, Jewish. And so in my religion, we don't hunt, like we don't wear fur. We don't hunt. I mean, they, they do eat animals and, you know, Jewish, they have this way they kill them. They think is better, which it's really not. But so when I've talked to people that are hunters, they say, well, if we didn't kill the deer, we'd be overpopulated with deer. And I've heard people say, well, if we didn't eat the cows and the pigs and the chicken, we'd have too many. So how do you counter that nonsense? Because I'm sure there would be a way to figure out that there would be a balance. And where would they live? Because I know they're entitled to live, but it, let's just say that we could just stop all farming, you know, all animal agriculture. There's a lot of animals right now. And how, how, do, how do we fix this mess? Well, that's, this, this is exactly the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about at the RAP Summit in November. Um, this is the big problem, is what do you do with the animals when a rancher wants to transition, wants to change, or a pig farmer, or a chicken farmer? What do you do with the animals? And, um, you know, I am very committed to solving this problem. If you stop breeding, just stop breeding, you got... You, you, you know, you know, you make a big difference just by stopping that, you know. Um, we've got to start taking care of our land, our planet. And, you know, there's plenty of earth to go around. We're just using it in the wrong way. 
We're not using the planet in the right way. We're not good stewards of the land. I mean, if you can think back in, in biblical times, you know, the, the earth was not used for breeding, purposeful breeding. We didn't have, they didn't have feedlots. They didn't do this stuff. There was none of that. This is something that humanity has grown into as a result of greed and power and money. And, uh, and so what we've got to do, those of us that are awake, we've got to start taking the land back. Like if I had, I have 147 acres here. If I had 1,047 acres, I could fill it up with animals that need homes. But one of the things I would do if I had a lot of land, and this is one of the things I really want to do as part of our initiative and wrap, is I want to be able to get land in land trust or land grants. And people like us that care, us start figuring out how to take care of the land, you know, how to restore the soul, the soil, the natural habitat, uh, rewild it, you know, put food forests in there, do whatever we have to do to bring the natural. Uh, elements back to that land, depending on geographically where it's at. And then when you can do that, you can start to put animals back on that land and the land will take care of the animals. See, the only reason the land today can't take care of the animals is because we as humanity do not, does not take care of the land. If, it's so simple, it, it, it just escapes us because see, it, it means we lose money, we lose power if we start taking care of the land so animals can just be animals. You know, we wanna use the land up until we don't have any more. We wanna burn it up in the Amazon. We wanna just, just, just destroy our land. All the, you know, the palm trees, you know, I mean, the palm oil, you know, all that stuff, you know, that comes from the, the, the Amazon and all the orangutans that are killed and the polar bears. I mean, we're just destroying animals left and right because we are not taking care of the land. If we take care of the land, the animals will be taken care of. Then we don't have to have sanctuaries for them. See, we have to get back to basics. We have to go back and think like they thought in the very beginning of time. We had plenty of room for everyone. Humanity has the one is the one that's overbreeding. And I know I may be hurting somebody's feelings by saying that. I hope not. But I think, you know, humanity needs to be spaded and neutered. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't say that to be funny or anything. I just think that we are, we are, I mean, we have way too many people on this planet. And then when you consider that we have all these people and that people that in animal agriculture are breeding all these animals to feed all these people, what are they, where are they gonna breed them at? We gotta stop this nonsense. So people like you that are awake need to connect with people like me over here and the people that we're connected with and wrap so we can figure out solutions on how to take care of the land. We take care of the land, we get land grants, we get land trusts, we figure out how to do this all over the globe. And then if we take care of the land, the animals will naturally have a home. You know, I, I always wondered, I mean, I think about this in my mind, like they're so much bigger, there's so many more. Why can't they just mutiny? You know, why can't, why can't they organize? 
That's what I, I wish, know, right? you know? I mean, they're, they're I just, they're, they're, so, they're so docile. Sherry wants to know if you're still singing to them. I know you used to be a singer. I do sing to them, of course. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I make up little songs for them and I will go out with my guitar from time to time or just me and just, they love it. You know, they love music and sound. There's a, there's a song I wrote called Resonating to the Sound. And I wrote it before I was vegan, but it, it really kind of um, is, is something I believe in. I believe that sound, that vibration is, is what was meant. Like, like if, if the Bible is true uh, or, or a book like that, and you know where it says, in the beginning was the word, I really do believe that in the beginning was sound. And so... I chant in Sanskrit and Gramuk. So I not only sing, but I chant. I will go out there and just do my yoga stuff, you know, and do my chanting. And they really, really, really love that. Do you ever sing? There was an activist who had a sanctuary and Rowdy was her name, girl. R-O-W-D-Y. You ever sing that to them? Did you just make that up? Well, I mean, I didn't make up the, the tune. It's, you know, there was a farmer who had a dog and Bingo was his name, but I just, it just came to me like that would be a cute song to sing to Rowdy. That is so fun. I love that you just did that. You know, I you love, make, that's what I do all the time. Make up some, I wish we could do that. Maybe we could do this outside sometime and actually show people the sanctuary. I think they'd really like that. We can do that. I can go out there with the cows with my computer. Go out there and sit right there with them when it's cooler. That would be, yes, let's do it. And then we get get you even more donations. So there is a question like if, I'm sorry, it went so fast. I didn't see who asked it. But if you have like 20 chickens, how do you tell them apart? Like who's who? Do they all look different? Pumpkin. Pumpkin. It depends. I mean, like we we rescued... um, a whole flock, like 15, uh, of these big white um, chickens, you know, like the big broilers from Colorado when that uh, slaughterhouse there went out of business. And um, this lady, just this slaughterhouse owner, our chicken farm owner, just completely let these animals just die. I mean, she was, she was having to just let them go and she couldn't afford to pay for them. She couldn't afford to kill them. She couldn't afford to do anything. And uh, they were just, they were cannibalizing each other. It was five degree weather. We got these white, beautiful chickens. They came to us and you couldn't tell them apart. So we got these little, uh, these little plastic things and we put like their names on these little plastic things and put that on their little ankles. So we could tell them apart until, until we started like, you know, noticing, you know, what you do just like with cows or anything. Like when I first started naming the cows, it was hard to tell them apart because they were, you know, they were all black. We had black Angus cows. If you have all black cows, all white cows, all red cows, and until you really start noticing, like, just like me and AJ, you know, we both kind of look, you know, I mean, you know, you have to look at the nuances, the nose, the brow, the chin, the, you know, you just look at nuances, the, the saggy chin, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and you notice these things and you begin to like hone in on those things and, but you don't notice it until you observe. 
So a lot of the ways you tell the chickens apart or the cows apart is by observing, um, just watching what they, what, you know, their brow, their, their chi- and who they hang out with. And then you start to kind of associate, just like twins, triplets. You know, you just have to observe them. Yeah. And if people did, they wouldn't eat them. You know, I think about the quote from Leonardo da Vinci, the time will come when men such as I will look upon the murder of animals as they now look upon the murder of men. Exactly, exactly. Oh my God, and it's gonna happen. It is happening. I believe it with all my heart. And people like you and Linda Middlesworth, you know, and Jane Velez Mitchell, people that have strong voices out here, um, that that's what's making it. That's what's making it happen, and it will keep happening. It's gonna happen. I hope it happens in my lifetime. But regardless, I know that I'm gonna keep doing whatever, whatever I have to do to be the best human I can be for the animals. Well, you're doing a great job and we appreciate what you're doing. And because you woke up, you're waking up so many people. Oh, thank you, AJ. You're such a sweetheart. What a sweet soul you are. Eh. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Sensitive for sure. Especially where the animals are concerned. I wish I liked people as much, you know. (laughs) Oh, did you go vegan for the animals? Absolutely. Well, in 1977, we didn't have the internet or Dr. Barnard. So I had no idea it was going to end up being the healthier choice. And nobody really cared about the environment yet at the 70s. So absolutely. I would have done it sooner, but I had a worried Jewish mother that I wasn't going to get enough protein, you know? So at the minute, the day I left home, September 1st, 1977. So I just celebrated my 43rd vegan anniversary. So think about how many I've saved. Like, what do they say? If you don't eat them, it's like 200 a year times 43. So Quite a few. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I can't believe. I mean, I'm I'm very of all the things in my life that I'm the most proud of. It's that, and and like you have an award. I have one right there from a vegetarian society of North America, where I'm in the vegan hall of fame. So really, at the end of the day, that's what I do. What I do is is you know I do it in the form of helping people lose weight or making recipes. But really, my ulterior motive, which isn't you know which is kind of out in the open, is I want people to stop eating animals and stop hurting animals and abusing animals. It doesn't you know even even sometimes they're not being eaten, but just even the way you know animal shelters that like just the fact that that people can have a pet and then one day decide they don't want it. It's just the way that people treat animals. And I just, I don't even... Oh, I know. I, I, I know, I was at the dentist yesterday. I know, I hear you. Oh my God, I get it. It's just, how It's got to that? stop. It has got to stop. It is just, it's got to stop. But you thanks to people, to thanks to people like you and Linda Middlesworth, it is stopping and, and you know, so I really, these are, the, you know, I, I've been on podcasts, I think it was the plant trainers podcast. And they said, well, what are you grateful for? And really, it's really people, it, listen, I, I don't get out there in the front lines and I don't have to see the, the horrific things that people that work for some of these advocacy organizations do, but it's people like you that really are saving them on the front lines. You are my heroes. And so if I can just offer a platform so more people can find out about you and donate, and I look forward to you coming back when you can show us the outside, because I think that's how we're going to get donations, especially I love that name the pig contest, you know, (laughs) I think that I'm I'm good at marketing. Let me show you Robbie Girl here. Can you see her? Oh my God, she's got a heart on her head. Yes, she does. 
That's my rowdy girl. That's you, my rowdy girl. It sure is. You know what? I almost yeah. feel like uh, there is this woman and she hasn't been on the show yet. She's vegan. She's a very well-known animal communicator. She's, she's rather shy. And I almost feel like I need to get you a session with her because there's got to be something from pa- that. Rowdy's got to be somebody that was sent to you for, I mean, I don't know, but that, that, this story is just eerily, you know, there, there's something there. When you hear my book, it's all about that. The name of the book, I, I can't even give it away, but I'm working with a lady. Her name is Dr. Gay Bradshaw. She's my ghostwriter. And uh, it's, uh, it's the most profound experience to be, to hear my voice coming through the way it is. Cause she just talks to me and talks to me and then I write stuff and then send it to her. And when it comes back, it's like the whole message of the book is, is really about, I don't know where a rowdy girl begins and I end. It's like, I really was born the day I met rowdy girl, just, you know? And it's kind of like some people think I'm rowdy girl because I am kind of rowdy and she is in me. I promise you, I don't even have to be out there and I can feel her. You know, it, this needs to be more than a documentary. It needs to be a Hollywood film when they start making them again. And I think, I think Susan Sarandon would be perfect to play you. Yeah, I'd love it. She could yeah. come out here and interview all the animals. <laughs> Any screenwriters out there, I think you got a story. Well, yeah, I just typed that this is one interview I just didn't want to end, but we're going to have you back when you can go outside. So I thanks everyone for watching and considering doing like Susan did and make a donation, either small or recurring or large, to Rowdy Girl sanctuary. I've posted the link many times. And for those of you that are vegan, thank you so much for saving animals. And those that are considering it, thanks for being as meatless as you can. And we appreciate what you do. So thanks so much for for your work. It's making such a difference. Thank you. Thank you so much, AJ. It's been a real pleasure. Okay. Bye. Thank all of you out there. I appreciate all of you out there. Thank you. Thank you.